This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. From 2012 to early 2014, the Citizen newspaper ran a weekly comment called Let's Face Facts to try to objectively understand the state of our country. Owner of WAM Media, communications consultant and analyst in societal issues, Paul Pereira was invited to give interpretive findings in short, topic-specific insight columns. These columns have now been turned into a book entitled Neither Miracle Nor Apocalypse, How South Africa Muddles Through. I'm delighted to have Paul as my guest now to tell me not only about the book, but also our current state of the nation. Paul, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Hello, Cherise, and thank you for having me and, and greetings to your listeners. Paul, you did this research a, a little while back, 2014. Things were looking, we were muddling through, pretty much muddling through. What were your findings? Yeah, it's a long time ago. I mean, it's, it's almost 10 years ago. But what we were trying to do with that column was not to look at the score, if you like, so the current events, the news of the day, but rather to look at the direction of play, so to look at long-term trends. So what I've done with the collection that's come out now, and there are various reasons why it's only come out now, but those columns that are in the collection, which is a good 30 or 40 columns, are trends that still exist at the moment. So there are all sorts of things from the length of prison sentence in our, uh, how that has changed and is changing to the age of the population, to where we live and how we're doing in terms of growing or shrinking a middle class and things like that. So the idea was to do it long term. And then, of course, some things have changed in quite fundamental ways in the last 10 years. But I think the critical point always, many things are important in society, but if you had to take one thing that is the most important, then it is quite simply two sets of figures. And that is how are we getting richer or poorer per capita So as, as, as a nation? And the way to do that is to look at your growth of the gross domestic product, so the growth of the economy, the GDP, versus the growth of the population. And in that, South Africa has sometimes been very good. I mean, in the 1960s, for instance, we were second only to Japan in growth rate in the world for that whole decade. But for 20 years, 1974 to 1994, we got it wrong. So we were, our population was growing faster than our economy, so we were getting poorer. And this reflected itself across all sorts of other societal developments. And then we got it right for the next 20 years. So for 20 years, 72 to 92, we got it wrong. And then from 90, uh, from, from about 94, 95 through to about 2014, 2015. So basically the second Jacob Zuma term of office. Then we got it wrong again. And since then, until very recently, our population has been growing quicker than our economy. That's turned around in the last two years, but let's not forget you had a COVID break on the economy. So it's a bit of a false uh, false dawn, I think, <laughs> to use a term. What do you expect? You know, prior, okay, we, we couldn't have anticipated, or I certainly couldn't have a war in the Ukraine. Nobody can really predict our politicians and their next actions and, you know, what, what next they're going to surprise us with. What is your kind of predictions, if it were, for the next five years? I'd be very careful about predicting the future. I, I'd never get that right, including my own. Um, but you can only really look at the things that you can control or the things that you can with with some certain, with a reasonable degree of certainty. Uh, no, you can control. You can't control the oil price. Uh, you can't control the exchange rate, although you can affect it. But 
and you can't control in our case the incredibly important thing is the world's demand for commodities um you know we we forget sometimes that because mines are out of sight we forget that mining still contributes half of our tax base uh it's half of our exports uh, mining is incredibly important to south africa so we can't and those all those those are reliant on factors around the world but we do know some things internally for instance we are urbanizing incredibly quickly Gauteng is basically a city state or, or soon will be when when the final patches between Pretoria and Johannesburg are linked up then in effect if you take Kuruleni West Rand Johannesburg Pretoria you've got one of the 10 largest metropolitan areas in the world not by number of people but geographically we know that our population growth rate has been slowing down the rate of growth since the 1970s and it's now very close to a zero rate and it'll be zero within the next 10 years and then we'll have a problem of replacement so it's kind of a european problem if you like we are aging two years every 10 so what that means is our average we were a very young country we are a very young country but just in in 2001 we were an average age of 21 years in south africa we are now going to be close to 26 this year as an average age and that has effects on the education system as the youth bubble moves through and the pressures get less and the education system is getting better across the public sector uh, despite what we may think and but we have other problems so those are all good things uh, and our economy our middle class has grown enormously our housing problem has reduced enormously for for about 20 years we were housing an average of 1000 families per day uh, it's the fastest and largest housing program in in human history and, um, but we have problems that our very slow current economic growth have thrown up and one of them is food insecurity and we didn't have growing food insecurity we had the opposite until the covid lockdown you know given example so the national school nutrition program which is the provision of protein starch and two veg in a proper meal once a day is given to 9.2 million children that stopped during covid and the reason you have to provide that kind of feeding or nutritional support at school and not in food parcels to home is so that the children get it uh, and it doesn't get filtered out into the community the stopping of that program for a very long time has had a dramatic effect and we see that now in increased rates of stunting of malnutrition etc so they are for the first time in many many years possibly in 100 years the chances in a couple of areas of starvation coming but we will never allow that but the point is that it is a big reverse yes sorry paul when you say we will never allow that what do you mean i don't believe that south africa would ever allow a situation of actual starvation to occur in any area of the country i don't imagine that it's it is morally possible and i don't think it would ever happen just follow up in terms of food security a recent trip to the northwest showed us that there were huge amounts of farms growing i imagine there were millies sunflowers do we have enough resources that we need not be reliant on the international markets to feed our own people well agriculture is it's not autarky that we're looking for i mean agriculture is among other things an export one of our it's the second largest export after commodities i don't think the aim would be to physically grow our own food to the point of self sufficiency as though we were under siege um if it's cheaper to to import this and that but we are relatively 
self-sufficient already. We're not in a, that's not a, a crisis we face. We're not like Japan, for instance, which has to import a lot of food. But that's fine. They make up for it with other things. So, no, I, d- I don't think that would be the aim. And remember that we have much higher agricultural production now than we had 30 years ago. That's just concentrated in fewer players because like in American farming over the decades, uh, farming has concentrated in, into almost an industrialized kind of set of, of companies rather than tiny, you know, millions of tiny farmers. Farming is a very complex business. One of the things that Martin Williams, then editor of The Citizen, said in your uh, forward to, to your book is that facts don't exist in and of themselves. Facts have to be interpreted. And it's so easy, Paul, to get caught up in the kind of discussions, whether we're a failing state, whether we're about to be a failed state, whether we're actually doing better than we are. How do you navigate the figures and come up with objective pieces of information? Well, to be honest, I mean, I'm I'm merely reporting on figures. So what I've done is I don't do the research. What I do is I try and find as much research as has been done go through it. And this is where the interpretive side comes in, is to decide what is actually repeating itself. So you can leave this out, leave that out. What is irrelevant? What are the main points? And then you've got to, but you've got to rely on the the specialization and the expertise of others. I'm certainly not that person. And so, so then you pull it together and a theme will reveal itself usually. Uh, And usually it's complex. So for example, there isn't a, if you look at the justice system, for instance, You've got to look at the, the criminal justice system. You've got to look at the administration of justice. You've got to look at correctional services. You've got to, all sorts of things. It's not one thing. Normally, in my mind, I just say, oh, crime rate's high. Meanwhile, we'll be high in one thing, but not so much in another. It will, the trend will be different in different parts of the country. There'll be. You know, I'll, I'll take, give you one small example is in schools. We've got, we don't have enough schools in Gauteng. You see the queues every year of parents trying to get in. And we've closed down about 6,000 schools in the Eastern Cape, because there are no kids there. You can't move the infrastructure with the people, but the people have moved to Gauteng. So you've got a problem of too many in one place, too few in another, it it complicates. And that's the point, is to try and then aggregate the information to something that makes some kind of sense. Well, you have the ability to not only crunch the numbers and make sense of them, but I don't know anybody else that I enjoy reading as much as I enjoy reading you. You have a way with words that takes this information and makes it so palatable and so actually quite enjoyable to read. Paul, you are actually saying that we are in a better place than many people think about and that the potential for growth is actually quite positive. Is this irrespective of leadership or future leadership? Does it matter who's who's in power? Will will the country kind of muddle our way through? No, I think it does always matter who's in power. But I mean, South Africa in many ways has, where she's done well has been despite of rather than because of governments. And that's always been the case uh, throughout our history. It's, you know, we're not a state-run operation. Most people who are working are in the private sector, still a private sector country, to the extent that people are working. I mean, you have an unemployment rate of, say, formally at 46%, but there's no way it's that high because... People are hustling all all over the show. Um, it's just in a different type of economy. That is the way we muddle through. But the state itself is not as dysfunctional as people imagine sometimes. They should have, I mean, I think that it revealed itself at the beginning of COVID lockdown when the state was able to impose itself 
right across society successfully. We're nowhere, nowhere, nowhere on the road to a failed state. That's just not true. We, we just, I think Jan Smuts said it well in the 1940s, where he said in South Africa, we never, it was worse the effect of we never, we never do our best and we never do our worst, something like that. You know, we, we kind of, that's the muddle through. I was just going to say, you think South Africans, um, good people, I mean, look, I, I do think civil society during COVID were the ones who came to the rescue in terms of ensuring people didn't starve, more so than government did. Um, I think there were all kinds of initiatives, you know, community-based that grew up that really came to the rescue. I am really reassured by, by what you're saying. Do you think we as South Africans are going to continue muddle through, help our fellow citizens where we can, and we'll leave it to business and the agricultural set, industry to, to see us through? Yeah, and government. I mean, the... Government, as I say, is not a, it's not a complete disaster. It has it provides most. Let me give you an example. One example: if you take feeding of children, you mentioned that, and if you took all the private sector's contribution to the daily feeding of children, and it's not insignificant. I'm talking companies like Tiger Brands, Pioneer Foods, Kellogg's, Woolworths. They're all involved in this. And if you wanted to demonstrate it by putting buses, school, uh, imaginary school buses in a row, with 60 kids in each bus, and you started them from Cape Town City Hall, and you lined up all the buses of kids being fed by the private sector, those buses would take you out to Carnival City, whatever that place is, is on, the, on the road to the airport outside Cape Town. That is how, if you bunch them together, that's how far they would go. And if you took the same measurement of how many kids are fed daily by the government, those buses would Buses would reach from the city centre of Cape Town all the way past Messina and across Bait Bridge. That is the difference in scale. Wow, that is reassuring. So it's, it's obviously numbers numbers are important. Understanding the numbers are even more important. So Paul, on that kind of really positive note, I'd like to thank you for joining me and for kind of explaining where we are and, and helping us make sense of the situation because it's so easy to get caught up in one's own kind of confirmation bias of where we're at and, you know, get caught up in a, a spiral of negativity. Thank you, Shalise, and thank you to your listeners. Thank you very much. That was Paul Pereira, owner of WAM, media, communications consultant, and analyst on societal issues.